0: So why do we call ourselves Foursquare? Believe it or not, it has nothing to do with our skills on the playground. No bobbles, double taps, or Texas twisters. Back in the 20s, our founder, Amy Semple McPherson, began referring to the message of the gospel as being four square, which back in the day meant solid and balanced. Amy's message focused on four essential aspects of who Jesus Christ is, and those aspects are easily represented by the logo before you now. The first box, the cross, represents Christ the Savior. Jesus Christ is truly the Son of God who died on a cross to pay the price for our sins. Because of His sacrifice, we can actually have a relationship with the Creator of the universe. The second box is a dove, which represents Christ as the baptizer with the Holy Spirit. When Jesus was baptized, a dove came down and landed on Him, showing the Spirit of God was one with Jesus. The Spirit of God does the same thing today. In fact, we describe our movement as spirit-filled because the impossible is possible when people are empowered by the Holy Spirit. The third box is a chalice, which represents Christ as the healer. Jesus cares and is involved in all of our lives. Whether our issues are emotional, spiritual, or physical, God has the power to heal the deepest of wounds and cure the darkest of afflictions. And the final box is a crown, which represents Christ as the soon-coming king. Simply put, Jesus is who he said he was. No matter how dark or confusing the world may get, Jesus will be returning one day to make all things right. So there you have it four squares, representing four aspects of Jesus Christ, making a four-square doctrine that is solid and balanced. We may not agree on every little aspect of how we live our lives as followers of Jesus. As long as you join with us in believing in Christ as Savior, baptizer with the Holy Spirit, healer, and soon-coming king, well, your faith sounds pretty four-square to us.
1: We are four-square. So, our church, we are part of something way bigger than just being a dot on the map in Washington. Yeah, we are part of this global movement where we believe these four things. And these are the things that we really focus on. These are the the building blocks upon Jesus, of course, that we build on. And yeah, are there a lot of opinions? Yes. I always say that opinion, everybody has a belly button. That means everybody has an opinion, right? And so yeah, we can agree and disagree sometimes on some of the little things. Um, in love, right though? Can we do that? Like I can love Brandon and he can love me and we can talk about things but we can disagree on certain things and still walk out of that disagreement in love. Okay? Because we have built our foundations on Jesus is our savior, that he fills us, that what we read in the Bible isn't just an old text, an old eastern text but it is living and active today. Like right now, today. So when I read the book of Acts and I see people's lives being changed by the power of the Holy Spirit, that just didn't die off when the the ink dried. But he is still moving. God didn't just create and then just let us spin off into the universe. But he's constantly creating. He's constantly moving. He's constantly working. He's constantly filling those who follow him and serve him and love him and care for him, and that he is our healer and I love how, in the video it said that yeah he meets sometimes he heals us physically, sometimes he doesn't, sometimes he heals us emotionally, but sometimes he doesn't you know and that's where well then the last one is soon coming king that Jesus is coming back, so over the next including today, well, today, and then the next three weeks, we'll be talking about these, these different aspects of who Jesus is to us today. And like I mentioned last week, it is sometimes a struggle to talk about some of these. Today, I think, is a little bit easier because I believe that if we can just look outside and realize, yes, we need a Savior. The things that are going on in our world right now, yes, we need a Savior. But when it comes to baptism of the Holy Spirit, what does that look like? There's been so much teaching over the thousands of years. What about healing? What what does that look like? And what if I go forward and get prayed for and I am not healed? Does that mean that God doesn't love me? And those are are tough questions. The, The question, well, when is Jesus coming back? I thought he was coming back. I thought he would have come back a long time ago. So did the disciples. So did those of us that got saved in the 70s we were sure Jesus was coming back <laughs> we were sure and now we're like 2020 we're like begging Jesus would you just come back now he might not come back in our lifetime but what he is doing is he's still pointing out a spirit to us so we can get through 2020 yeah and whatever 2020 still has to offer us <laughs> Yeah, so we are four-square, living on four solid building blocks of who Jesus is, part of something way bigger than what we are. We do believe that Jesus, when we read about Jesus in the, in the Bible, that he was the, is the same back then, but he's also the same today, and he's the same tomorrow. I have this little thing that I get, somebody gave me years and years ago. It's on my desk. It's a little plastic. It's about that tall. It's almost like a card, like a business card stuck in a little, it's a cute little plastic thing on my desk, and it's getting really faded, and it just says, don't worry about tomorrow. God is already there. And I read that every single day because sometimes I'm a worrier. And so I have to be reminded, I don't have to worry about my tomorrow. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's been so faithful to us, And we read it here, but it didn't even in our own lives, and we could probably have testimony time right now, and just there'd be these little popcorn testimonies that would say, this is when God is faithful to me. This is when Jesus really met me in my moment. And we can have those times. Well, that means that Jesus is still going to work and meet us in those moments tomorrow as well, so we don't have to worry about tomorrow. Do we have any worriers in the house? Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm a worrier, and I I have been. Jesus has been releasing me of that over the years, and I was really free for a while, and then I have a new position, (laughs) and it's all back. (laughs) And I'm like, wow, God, I thought that was delivered from that. I thought that was all over. But Jesus just said, I remember I was just sitting here a uh, a week and a half ago, and the Lord just said, I'm not going to call you to a place that I will not go with you. I will go with you because I'm leading you. And so our responsibility for us warriors is to follow Jesus. Simple. It sounds great. It sounds pretty easy. But it really is that easy. Follow Jesus. And maybe you haven't heard his voice. Maybe you haven't had that impression. Maybe it's been a while. Then just follow. Do the last thing he told you to do. You now, sometimes I get in that place. I'm like, God, why aren't you, why aren't you, like, move? Why aren't you, like, leading me? And, he, and I get that impression sometimes where, like, well, you still haven't done what I've asked you to do. I'm like, ooh, okay. So then I just be obedient, and then, then he shows me what's next. We believe in the Bible here. This is a pretty incredible book. We've been having some awesome discussions about some of the craziness in this book. And why you know, and I'm not going to tell you some of those stories right now because you'll just stop and look them up and But there are some crazy stories in this book, and you're like, God, why? Why are those things in here? And I, because it just shows us that human beings, in and of ourselves and left to ourselves, we just get in trouble. We we'll just get in trouble, and what I love about the Bible is that God was is so loving to us that He gave us a ton of examples of people who walked away from Him and then suffered the consequences of those of that walking away, as a reminder, and I would say even as a warning: say, don't go there, don't go there. So we do believe in the Bible. We believe that. The gifts of the Holy Spirit, again, are active today, that he still fills and he still imparts his gifts on us today. That as a believer in Jesus that you have been poured into and you've been given all the gifts, you've been given everything that you need to live this life right here. Now, you might not have opened it. You might not really have discovered it. But as you grow in him, you'll just discover more and more. He has given you love. He has given you joy. He has given you, especially in this moment where we're at right now, peace. Some of us question the fourth one, patience. What is that? I'm running through them in my head because I've never said them this slow before. Because normally you just rat them off. Love, joy, peace, patience, kind of goose Yes, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness. He's given us all these gifts. And the last one we like to totally leave off, because it's the hard one, right? The self-control. Yeah. And he's given us all those things. We believe that the Holy Spirit still pours into us, still fills us, still empowers us to live life right now. And not just barely to get by, but actually to thrive and to prosper, and I'm not just talking cash, but to prosper this side of heaven for the kingdom of God. Not for ourselves, but so others can know about Jesus. He fills us so others will know about Jesus. That's what we read in the book of Acts. Why were they filled in that upper room? They went outside and were speaking in languages that other people could understand. And what were they saying? They were declaring the glory of God. And people that were in that city were looking for the glory of God. They wanted it. And then God gives a speech to those in that upper room who were filled with the Holy Spirit, and boom, thousands hear hear about the glory and get saved in that moment. It's huge, and that's what we believe in. We believe that he generously today gives those gifts. And the Bible says that, that the Holy Spirit, and we'll talk about this, in, I guess it's next week, that he gives those gifts as he determines. So this is what I do with gifts, and I'll share this again maybe, but I better say it now so I don't forget it. It's really up to him on what gifts he gives us. Our response on this side, a lot of times we're like the little kid, like, that's what I want. I want that gift. Me, 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 I want that gift. But our response really needs to be, God, whatever gifts you have for me, I want. I'll take. I'll receive those gifts. And then just allow him to pour into you. And sometimes those gifts come for a moment and then they're, they move on. Sometimes you have a gift for a moment and then it moves on. As believers in Jesus, let's just say, God, whatever you have for me, whatever you have for me, I want. In fact, can you close your eyes just for a moment? And if you can sincerely say that, like whisper that in your, from your heart this morning, and just say, God, whatever you have for me, I receive. God, whatever you have. I receive. Lord, that we would not be selfish, but that we'd walk in love and joy, peace and patience, kindness and goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self control, Jesus. Amen. Jesus is Savior. That's what we're going to talk about today. And I've had discussions with people in the past. Well, do I, I don't need a Savior. Or do I need a Savior? Well, I don't think we have to go very far right now and realize that, yes, we need a Savior. think one thing that 2020 has proven to us is that we need something greater than us to rescue us and to save us. And there's a whole list of things that we've gone through in 2020. You already know those things. You can even add to that list your own personal list. But the fact is that we need a Savior. So how did we get here? How did we get to this place where we need a Savior? And so we're going to go all the way back to the very, very beginning. And I'm going to be a little bit methodical this morning. We're going to read a bunch of Scripture because I really want you guys to capture, bless you, I really want you all, whether you're in this room or watching from home, to capture the fact that we need a Savior and why we need, need it. So we have Bibles in the back. I would love for you to grab one. I even know the page numbers because my Bible here lines up with that Bible back there. I did receive a brand-new Bible, by the way. Um, some of my friends gave me a new Bible, and it is awesome. I can read it from, I mean, like Claire and Marcelo could hold it up right now and I could probably read it from the back because it's like super giant print. Does it say super on the box? It does, super giant print. <laughs> In fact, I had it on my desk when I was studying this week, and I opened it up, and I about fell off of my chair because it was so big. Unlike i almost fell off a, I almost fell off another ladder this week. Okay, so we have a new rule around the church that I'm not going to go on ladders. <laughs> oh my gosh, that's what that thing up there is gone. I was almost gone with it, but uh, we're here. Hey, turn to page one. I don't know if I've ever said that before. Turn to page one. We're going to be at Genesis chapter one this morning. Why do we need a savior? And we don't need a This isn't like a temporary fix. We're talking an eternal fix. We're talking about an eternal Savior. Not just a Savior that will save us from 2020, but a Savior that will save us for eternity. Because there are more 2020s coming, if that makes sense. Not that I'm being a prophet of doom, but there will be... Trouble in our world. Jesus said, in this world, it will be perfect. It'll be roses and carnations, if you like carnations. Everything will be gold and perfect. No, Jesus said, in this world, you will have trouble. You will, not maybe or it might happen, but you will have trouble. But Jesus said, but rest your hearts because I've overcome the world. Genesis chapter 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. It goes all the way back to God our creator. So how did we get to the place where we need a savior? God created the heavens and the earth. And if you read the rest of chapter 1... Light, sky, water, ground, plants, trees, fruit, sun, moon, stars, living creatures, fish, birds, livestock, animals, wild animals. And God's description after he made those things was, it is good. This is good. So if I point at you right now and say, tell me a wild animal, or tell me an animal, the first animal that comes to your mind. Like if I point at somebody right now and say, first animal that comes to your mind. Dog, okay? God made him, okay? And if I point to somebody like right now and say favorite animal. Well, not favorite animal. Give me an animal. Deer, Deer, okay. Giraffe. Giraffe. Bird. Tiger. Tiger. Elephant. Oh, nice, nice one. We should stop there, but that was a good one. Anybody else? Unicorn. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my gosh. I did not expect that. (laughs) All right. Not saying that. Who knows? I haven't seen one. But I didn't see the dinosaurs, and I believe that they're around too. So maybe there's unicorns somewhere. The concept had to come from somewhere. (laughs) I I don't know if I can get over that, actually. So God created all these things, and it was good. And funny thing, like this morning as I'm reading this again, I'm just kind of saying, oh, that settles the whole chicken and the egg thing. Because we've heard that for years, what came first, the chicken or the egg. Who's heard that? Okay, Okay. put your hands down. Who's never heard that phrase? I'm going to point you out. Say, I think we've all heard that. Well, according to Genesis chapter 1, God made the chicken, and then the chicken probably laid the eggs, because that's the way he created them. So if you leave this today, that's all you've got. And it's like, I just had one of the eternal answers or questions answered in my life. You can walk out of here boldly and say, God created the chicken first. And you will win that argument for the rest of your life. Genesis chapter 1. I'm hoping you get a little bit more about it than that. But if that's what you walk away with, that's okay. Hey, turn to page 2. Verse 31 says, God saw all that he had made, and it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. Well, where did we come in at? Oh, back in verse 26. Verse 26. Actually, you have to go back. I have to go back to the first page. Sorry, I jumped ahead of myself. So God made all the moon, star, sky. He separated water. He made light. He did all those things. And then on the sixth day, verse 26, then God said, let us make mankind in our image. So I want you guys to capture the phrasing of what's happening here. Okay, So what's happening here is in Genesis chapter one, we're kind of getting the big picture of creation, and then we're going to dive a little bit deeper in the detailed description of how this happened. Then God said, "Let what's that next word? Us. Who is God talking to? He's talking to the Trinity. He's talking to himself. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, let us, in perfect unity, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea, so they would rule over everything that we've just made, the birds of the sky and over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And then in verse 31, he says, he looks back and saw that it was very good. Everything up to that point was good. And then he added, I'll just include us because we're included in mankind. Then he added us, and he looked back and said, oh, now it's very good. This morning, if you kind of struggle where you're at and how God views you as a part of mankind, that he looks at you and says, very good. So then why do we need a Savior? If everything is just so good, then why do we need a Savior? Well, we're going to keep looking, and we're going to move to page, page, yeah, We're same page. (laughs) Oh, my goodness. I'm still thinking about the unicorn. All right. Verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to care for it. Okay, we're going to read a while, so I'm going to put my glasses on. And the Lord God commanded the man, you are free to eat from any tree in the garden, but you must not eat from the tree of knowledge of good and evil for when you eat of it, you will certainly die. And the Lord God said, it is not good for man to be alone. I will make a helper suitable for him. Now, the Lord God had formed out of the ground, so he, he goes on to talk about all the animals and birds, and, and that actually Adam named those animals. Every animal he brought, God brought before him, and that'd be such a list. And he named all these animals. But verse 20, so man gave names to all the livestock and the birds of the sky and the wild animals. But for Adam, no suitable helper was found. So the Lord caused the man, Adam, to fall into a deep sleep. And while he was sleeping, he took one of the man's ribs and he closed it up, closed up the place with flesh. Then the Lord God made a woman from the rib he had taken out of man, and he brought her to man. And the man said, This is now bone of my bone, flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman, for she was taken out of man. And then that whole, if you've been to a wedding, that's where this passage comes from, and it's repeated in the New Testament. That is why a man leaves his father and mother and is united with his wife, and they become one flesh. Adam and his wife were both unclothed. They were both naked, and they felt no shame it was good it was very good everything was perfect they were in paradise eden literally means like para- the place of paradise they had no want that means they didn't have any needs everything was taken care of but yeah God made us with this free will. And I've had many people, we've had, I've had this discussion for years and years. So why did God give us free will? Well, because he didn't want to create robots. He created you and I with a free will. And then he gives us the choice, he empowers us to make the choice to follow him or to not follow him. And we see in chapter Same page, but in chapter 3, we see titled The Fall. And we see that the serpent was more crafty, verse 1, was more crafty than any of the wild animals that the Lord God had made. And he said to the woman, so (laughs) I don't know if that thought had ever come to my mind before this morning that this serpent just starts talking to Eve and Adam He's there too. They're both there. So this was a, quite a creation. So was this a Dr. little thing? <laughs> or only So Adam and Eve could actually have communication with animals? I don't know. Could this have been a one-time Balaam's donkey situation where it says that the Lord opened the mouth of the donkey, and the donkey literally talked to Balaam? you've never read that story, you've got to read it. Okay? It's an amazing story. Not really sure. We're not going to be able to answer that this morning. But the fact that Adam and Eve were in paradise, they had no wants. And yet when we, we'll say the serpent, we'll put a tag of the enemy comes and speaks and takes the word of God and just twist it just a little bit, it brings doubt. And it creates what? It created want. So this wasn't like something like evil, what he said. It was evil because he took the word of God and he twisted it. That's evil. But what I want to say this this morning, that the enemy will come and he'll take the word of God And he'll just twist it just a little bit. Sometimes, in Jesus' case, when he was being tempted by the devil himself in the desert, it was like word-on, spot-on Scripture, but it was taken out of context. It was just like, pluck, here's a verse. I'm going to pluck this verse out, and I'm going to apply it to this situation. And Jesus combated every single one of those false statements. So we pick it up in verse 8 on page 3. Verse 6. Actually, I said 8, but now I have my glasses on. It's, it's verse 6. <laughs> oh, my goodness. Unicorns. Okay. When the woman saw that the fruit of the tree was good for food and pleasing to the eye and also desirable for gaining wisdom, she took some and she ate it. And she also gave some to her husband. And most men, men, I'm going to get on you for a second, because most men, when we read this, we we blame the women for sin. Let's have a real moment. There are some people that blame women for sin. You guys realize that? It was both their fault for sin. Because if we finish that last line, and she gave some to her husband, who was with her, and he ate. So that means the whole time this serpent is talking to Eve and Adam, he was right there. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, verse 7, and they realized they were naked, so they sewed fig leaves together and made coverings for themselves. Now, I've said this before, and I'll say it again, and you'll probably hear it again. Verse 8, to me, is probably the saddest, one of the saddest days in human history. And I can think of three, as I kind of thought through this this morning. And if it wasn't for this verse, the other two wouldn't have happened. So I almost have to say, this is the saddest day. But when God destroyed the earth because of sin, I mean, just a thousand years later, between Adam and Noah, about a thousand years, God starts all over again because of this moment. And then several thousand years later, when Jesus died on the cross, to me, one of the saddest days in history because the God of the universe came and sent his son and died and sacrificed on our behalf. Saddest day, but also a day with hope from this side looking back, right? Because we know he rose on the third day. I know it's October, but we're talking about Easter, But because every day walking with Jesus is resurrection. Every single day is resurrection with him. So, to me, this is like the saddest day because this is where sin enters the world and the world has never, ever been the same because of it. Verse 8 Then the man and his wife heard the sound of the Lord God as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. What's the best time of the day? Mornings are awesome. But when the sun is just getting ready to set, like an hour before the sunset, and it's about right here, and it kind of cools down a little bit, and it's, ooh, this is nice. So God would come and walk with his kids and spend time with his kids in person every single day. Then the man and his wife heard, a sound, heard the sound of the Lord God, as he was walking in the garden in the cool of the day. And they hid from the Lord God among the trees of the garden. But the Lord God called to them, where are you? Now, did God know where they were at? Come on, yes. But God's being a dad here, okay? God's being a father here. He says, where are you? And the man answered, I heard you in the garden, and I was afraid See, fear had never... Adam is experiencing fear for the very first time. I was afraid because I was naked, so I hid. So Adam is experiencing fear and shame for the very, very first time. And I'm just wondering to myself, man, if they would have owned up to it, and if they would, like, like when you have kids... And they messed up, and they own it, and they, I mean, really own it, not fake own it, but like really, and you just know that they're sorry. Isn't a, as a mom or as a dad, don't you just like, I love you. Don't do it again. There are going to be consequences, as opposed to when your kids like totally defy you, like in your face. It's a lot harder to say "I love you." <laughs> There's going to be consequences. A lot of times, those consequences are a little bit more because of their defiance. And I don't know, sin entered the world, so now things are broken. Just bringing up questions, I'm not trying to cause doubt. But I think as an example for us is like when we mess up, for, for us to own it. Like if I mess up. With, with one of you, then I just need to own it and I need to ask for forgiveness and I need to apologize and then we can move on and not be defiant like, oh, I don't care what you think. I'm going to do it anyways. I'm just wondering in this case if they would own it. They do not own it. So we pick it up. You know, I was afraid. And then verse 11, and he said, who told you, this is God, who told you that you were naked? And then this is... God given them the opportunity. Have you eaten from the tree that I've commanded you not to eat from? And the man said, God, would you forgive me? <laughs> the first finger point, we are so good at this, people. I'm not going to point at anybody, but we are so good at this. The woman you who is he blaming here? <laughs> he blames two. He blames God, and he blames the woman. Does he own it? He doesn't own it at all. The woman you put here with me, she gave me some fruit from the tree, and I ate it. And so then the God says, okay, you're not going to repent. I'm going to give the woman an opportunity. And then God said to the woman, what is this that you have done? God, I'm so sorry. Nope. The serpent deceived me, and I ate. So why do we need a Savior? Why do we as a four-square church build on this block? It's because we're broken. And it's because of this moment right here, that we're broken. Now, if we jump all the way ahead into the New Testament, we're going to see that the whole New Testament shares the good news that we don't have to live in that brokenness any longer. The whole Old Testament is the struggle now with the sin. Sin and sacrifices and, and struggle and trying to figure this out and discovering where we fit. And then Jesus comes. And he takes care of it for us. And it was God's plan all along that he would come and be our sacrifice. Did God know that when he put Adam and Eve in the garden with one no, that they would mess up? Yes, God is sovereign, he knows it all. So then why did he even do this? Because of love. There's nothing like being in a relationship. A good, healthy relationship where love flows. And that's what we're created. We're supposed to be in that relationship with him. And so he had to send Jesus. We're going to jump all over the place, but we're, let's let's hop to... Uh, Page 968, Romans chapter 3. So relationship with God had been broken. The damage had been done. So how can it be fixed? And Paul is talking to the Romans, who I believe, if you read the book of Romans, the Romans are a lot like those of us in the United States. There's a lot of pride in their, they're very patriotic. There's a lot of pride in their country. They think they have all the answers. They are the world power. And so Paul fights this whole mentality that just because you're Roman doesn't mean that you have a relationship with God. Just because you live in this blessed country doesn't mean you have a relationship with God. You're still broken. We are all individually still broken. That is Paul's message to the Romans. I also would say that was Paul's message to those of us that live in this country. Do we live in a great country? Yes, we live in a great country. Do we live in a broken country? Yes, we live in a broken country. But every country in our world is broken. And Paul is describing to them and trying to get them to understand that we need a Savior. And he talks about in, like, verse 10, and he's quoting in the Old Testament, there's no one righteous, there's not even one. There's no one who understands, there's no one who seeks God. All have turned away. And have together become worthless. And then we move forward to verse 22. This righteousness is given through faith in Jesus Christ. Well, I thought we just said there's no one righteous. Well, because there's one righteous. There's one righteous. Well, why do I get blamed? Why am I suffering the consequence? Why do I get blamed for something somebody did thousands and thousands of years ago? Well, that's the way God set it up. And when we read through through the book of Romans and we start understanding like, oh, Adam was my representative. He was my ambassador before God in that moment. This righteousness is given through us to us through faith in Jesus Christ, to all who believe. There's no difference between Jew and Gentile. For all have sinned, verse 23. Romans chapter 3, verse 23. For all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God, and all are justified freely by his grace through the redemption that came by Jesus Christ. So just as... Adam made that decision to to separate, to do his own thing, and we suffer the consequences for those things. Even today, Jesus sacrificed on the cross and his decision to come and leave his place in heaven to die for our sin and brokenness so we can have a relationship with God. Same. Jesus did that one act for us, and so we can no longer, we don't have to die. We can be looked upon as righteous in the sight of God. But what does it take? It takes faith, and it takes belief. And it's not just here, it's living it out. God, I believe. I profess with my mouth, yes. God, you died for my sin. Chapter 5, verse 12, Therefore, just as sin entered into the world through one man and death through sin, in this way death came to all people, because all have sinned. We would have all made that decision. I'm not going to pick on anybody in the room, but if it was not Adam and Eve and it was Doug and Leanne in the garden. <laughs> first of all, Doug, you wouldn't have to have your hand in a cast because everything would have been made perfect back then, okay? If it was Cindy and Tony in the garden, if it was you two in the garden, (laughs) Janet, Ken, if you guys were in the garden, we would have all made that decision. We would have all been tricked, led astray by the serpent. So just own that. Don't just blame. Don't point a finger at Adam and Eve. It's your fault. Just own it because all have sinned. We have all would have made that decision. We need a Savior. Jesus died so we can have life. Sin into the world, yes. But Jesus died so we would have life. Brandon, would you come? I'm going to have you play. Probably one of the most profound conversations recorded in Scripture is the conversation that Jesus had with a man named Nicodemus. Nicodemus was the teacher of Israel. He supposedly, well, did know this book, front and back. But in the middle of the night, he comes and he has this conversation with Jesus, and he doesn't quite understand. Jesus, we know. God, Jesus, I recognize you as coming from God. I see it, I recognize it, I understand it, kind of, but can you tell me more? And so Jesus said, unless you are born again, just knowing this book isn't enough. I mean, you can know this book, You can even live this book. There are cults and people in history that have lived this book, but they don't follow the God of this book. They don't believe in the sacrifice of Jesus as God's son that's listed in this book. And it's in that conversation, John chapter 3, the story of Jesus talking to a man in the middle of the night who wants to know, how can I have a relationship with God? And Jesus says, you must be born again. And it just twists his mind. He can't figure that out. How can I do that? I'm an old man. And Jesus says, it's in faith. And then probably the most popular scripture that we see on a lot of football players and John three sixteen. If That's in the middle of this conversation that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. That whoever believes in him will not die, but will have eternal life. And then the verse we always forget about, verse 17. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world. From the very first moment that Jesus was prophesied, there's over 300 scriptures in the Old Testament about Jesus coming. And when Jesus was promised, when Joseph, I mean, I'm talking about Christmas. Relax. You still have 82 days. Okay? But when the angel came to Joseph and said, you will have a son. And you are to name him Jesus Yeshua. Because he will save his people from their sin. And then 30 years later, that prophecy comes true when Jesus is having this conversation with the teacher of Israel. And Jesus says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes, And him will not perish, will not die an eternal death, but will live forever with me. Because I didn't send the world, I didn't come in here to condemn you. I came here to give you life. We need a Savior. And I know it flew through here. And I left off half my notes. And it's a little scattered. the bottom line is this we are broken and honestly I think we all know that and when I came to Jesus I knew it I was 13 and how bad can a 13 year old be I don't know I just know how I felt and I just knew something was not right it was broken broken and I didn't even know Jesus I didn't grow up knowing Jesus I was just being introduced to him for the very first time. But I knew something was wrong. I knew there was a disconnect. And then when I was told that that God loved me, that he gave his life for me, that he sacrificed his most precious possession, and now, years later, as a dad, you, some of you that are moms and dads, can you imagine giving up one of yours, giving up yours. I have one. I can't imagine. I cannot imagine. And yet that's what God did. I am willing to make this right is what God said. And the only way this can be made right is if my son, who is perfect, will go down there and do what he does and sacrifice, literally sacrifice himself on our behalf. So why do we have a cross in here? It's not to celebrate death. It's to remember death. But it's also to remember that we have life because of what Jesus did for us. Why, don't, why isn't Jesus still on the cross? Why in here at our church have we decided not to have Jesus on the cross because he's not there anymore? His sacrifice was done. It was done once and it was done for all. Not just for a select few, but for all who would call on his name. And so you have an opportunity this morning if you've never called on his name. And you know it, You know that there's something, that there's a disconnect. You know what, you feel it, you see it, you experience it. And Jesus said, uh, just like the song we sang, God, I call on you. And you know what? Jesus will answer. And he'll come to your rescue. And the Bible says that when we step out in faith and we believe that we are saved. That's a one-time thing. But then the next morning, the next moment, you get up and you say, all right, Jesus, I want to walk with you today. It's not like, hey, I make this decision and then I just walk away and do whatever I want. No, The cross is a remembrance of sacrifice. Jesus sacrificed for us, and so now we come to the cross. At the cross, you beckon me. You call me to that place of sacrifice. Now, for some of you that have said yes to Jesus before, where are you at today? Maybe you need to come to the cross again, not to get saved again, but to remember what Jesus has done for you. And maybe you need to make things right. Maybe you need to own your stuff this morning. Can I invite you to stand? I just want us to pray together, not just pray. That's a bad habit. I got to get out of that habit because prayer is such a gift given to us by God that we can communicate. It's not a just thing. It is we have the opportunity to pray. And so however you pray Maybe you close your eyes. Maybe you look to the heavens. Maybe you fold your hands. Maybe you kneel. I don't know. It doesn't say. God, this morning, God, this morning, I pray that this would be the morning for some. God, 2020 has thrown us a lot of stuff and i believe that many of us in our community and even those watching and those who are here realize that we need rescued something besides ourselves something outside of ourselves a divine rescue and thank you jesus that you are that you are our savior that you have already done the work for us your sacrifice on the cross was once and it was for all And so you invite us all to come, to own our stuff, to confess our stuff, but then to walk in new life with you. New life with you. Jesus offers you new life. You don't have to live in the cloud of 2020. You can live in 2020 in new life. No more worry, no more shame. Let me say this, less worry, less shame, (laughs) because the enemy will still point his finger at you, but you will be forgiven. If you've never made that decision to follow Jesus and you've been thinking about it, maybe you're hearing it for the first time, but maybe you've been thinking about it over and over and over, well, then today's the day. Say, October 4th, I made a decision to follow Jesus and I will never turn back. If that's you this morning, I just invite you to, to say to Jesus, Thank you for saving me from my sin. Acknowledge that there is sin. Acknowledge that there's a brokenness. And you have a conversation with your living God who saves you and is rescuing you. For those of you that have said yes to Jesus, but you're not really, you're kind of going through the motions. When's the last time you had a real conversation with him? I mean, I'm talking real not just your list and then amen and then go to sleep, but a real conversation where you've owned your stuff, where you've actually acknowledged his presence in your life and you've said thank you. When's the last time you said thank you to Jesus for all that he's doing in you and what he's done in you? Maybe this morning for some of you, it's a, God, I need to say thank you. It's a remembrance of what he's done. And so wherever you're at this morning, whether you're saying yes to Jesus for the very first time or you're saying yes again, 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 again. God, I thank you that you hear our prayers. And I thank you that you are faithful, that when we call, you do answer. God, that you are working in us and that you do call us to a place of sacrifice. The cross is a place of sacrifice. You sacrifice there, but you invite us to come and to lay down our stuff. Amen, when we lay down our stuff that you pour into us, you fill us with so much more. Love, a joy that is unspeakable, a peace that surpasses all understanding. In a world that has none, you give us patience. In a world where there's very little, you give us kindness. In a world where people are looking for it, then you give us goodness. You help us to remain faithful. and God, you give us self-control. Wherever we're at today, Lord, I thank you that you meet us and you have met with us. Lord, we say thank you to you this morning, and we're grateful for all that you're doing. And God, I pray that today would be the very first day for many of us, that when we go home today that these conversations would be stirring in us, that we would have real conversations with you, that we would have real conversations with our friends about you. God, that we would encourage one another to keep going, to keep moving forward with you. And thank you for leading us, Jesus. And we give you praise for all that you're doing in your name. Amen. God bless you. Thank you so much for being here today. Each one of you are amazing. Hopefully we'll see you next week or Thursday night for prayer and worship night.